0: Welcome back to the WTF podcast and the second part in a two-part special showcasing Mabinti Karoma Moore and Wakuru Njiguma, the founders of Live Africa. In this segment of the episode, we'll be discussing the focus areas that entrepreneurs need to think about when looking for investment, discussing more about the investment opportunities in the creative arts sector, and also hearing a little bit about starting a business on the continent focused on impact measurement and impact investing. Lots to share, take a listen, thanks.
1: We were just talking about um, what what the investors are looking for in terms of readiness, but as an entrepreneur, what are the things that they need to have in place to make sure that they're attractive to investors when they go out looking for investment in their businesses? Um, Sort of what are the capacity development needs? What are the tools that they need to have in place? Like how do they sell themselves by saying, okay, I have all of these things in place. Um, Now I'm just looking for funding. How do they attract that by the systems that they have in place?
2: Yeah. Um, so in terms of like what investors look for um, I think the first thing to understand is that obviously different investors have different uh, sort of like criteria and objectives that they would like to achieve for their funds so the thing to do is to make sure that um, as a business owner your your business aligns with this with 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 the investors um, objectives um, and vision Uh, because again if you're looking to raise funds from from different investors, then you have to speak to very specific um, areas of alignment. Uh, but generally, um, in terms of like what investors look for, uh, one, it's looking at the management team. Mabinti um, has talked about having gender balanced teams because um, a lot of research that has been done has shown that um, having women uh in term, in in, as part of the management uh has a direct correlation to to an increase in in the growth of the business and so um when you're looking at putting together whether it's a board of directors or a management team or reaching out to you know partners that um one can work with it's always good to have that consideration in place and not to do it for the sake of but then to do it because um women actually do make very good contributions um to the growth of businesses um the other thing that i'd say is obviously looking at your at your processes your internal processes uh, making sure that you have systems that have been set up whether it's the financial systems the hr you've thought about you know the impact of what you're producing uh what your business is doing to the community that's directly um impacted by 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 your work um and also that your products uh what type of impact do they have on the environment um or in the communities that that they are, they are being sold to so having sort of like just a clear understanding of what those impacts are and even if some are negative then just showing that you have ways that, um you know you you have systems in place to mitigate some of these negative impacts uh, whether it's on the environment or you know whatever else um, I'd say also like in, in in my experience investing the one thing that we that that's sort of like a make- or break is looking at the entrepreneur them himself or herself and seeing how it, uh, in tune they are with their business um, just sort of like, I, I think, I think um, it's, it's very easy as an, as an entrepreneur to leave some things um, to other people to manage, uh, which is understandable because there's a lot of work to be done. But just showing that you have an understanding of every single uh, part of your business and, and how they all fit in together as, as one big puzzle um is something that we are very interested in. Um I think when you talk to some investors, they'll just say, yeah, I need, yeah, we invested in this person because, you know, like we met the person and we liked the person. Um, so it's also sort of like just sometimes it's not really in your control uh because it depends on the perception um that the investor has on you. But I'd say that um just having your 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 staff together and knowing um the things that make your business different from another one um and being able to articulate that and 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 communicate uh your product um is something that for us is is is, is really important uh we also look at how much the person has put into the business um so it's also good to have an understanding of 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 of, of how much you put in an an in as a business, uh, whether it's, you know, in terms of the financial bit uh, or the stuff that cannot be quantified, but being able to, again, communicate that to to an investor is really important. Um, Typically... uh, Just just, just to stop you there.
3: So I wanted to just talk a little bit about, you know, you you mentioned that investors kind of invest in people, And then, you know, they they kind of got a good feeling about someone. So, you know, what is that secret source? Is it dynamism? Is it passion? You know, in your estimation, what does that really what are the key elements and the attributes that people say, I'm going to invest in that lady um, because I like her? Like what what do you think are some of those characteristics?
2: Um, I'd say, and maybe Mabinti can also add, uh, because I think every individual uh, sort of like has different uh, things that they look for. But I'd say for me, it's the commitment that the person has to the business, um, the vision. Um, So um, we look at how how big does this person see this business uh, sort of like being, or what is the impact? How big is this impact? Uh, What is the change? That they would describe, that they want to see uh, in their community, that they are, that they are, that they are looking to, to put this this product in, um, and also just looking at there, there, there is something about um, the excitement about, you know, knowing that you're you you have this amazing business idea and it's gonna work, um, and you're going to make it work. Um, that is really important because it shows that for an investor it shows that if you put your money um in this business i know that there are some times where you know things don't go the way that um, someone might have thought they would but just knowing that this person actually is 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 committed to protecting the investment that you have made and by that commitment it's basically working hard to make sure that they grow the money that they grow the business um, and that they achieve what they have set out to achieve um is really really important um i get i get a lot of we've gotten a lot of um entrepreneurs who will come in and say oh you know this is my business i've been doing this for a couple of years and then you ask them something as simple as what were your revenues for you know 2017 um and they have no idea because probably um understandably uh, an accountant does that but those are some of the things that are actually um, Put someone off because I want to see someone who is on top of the numbers someone who knows you know this is the exact amount my business need uh, you know in this particular year and this is why there was a shift from this previous year or in the next year we're looking at this shift because of you know this this and that Um, so just being able to to be able to define define and and communicate this this business to other people, um, is really, really important. The thing that I've seen a lot, uh, especially when it comes to investing in women is that, um, I guess because of, of the way we have been socialized as women, we don't want to seem like we're bragging about the numbers. Um, but there's, there's that confidence in knowing that, um, your business is actually, mm-hmm. you know, is actually going to make a change and that it's actually something that's needed in the in the in the ecosystem yeah
4: yeah and i would i, I would certainly echo a sentiments i think it is about the energy it's about the charm i remember having a conversation last year in new york with an angel investor who seated an impact investing company and i asked her this very question i said you know how do you know when you've made the right investment like how do you how do you just look at an entrepreneurs and say you know I'm going to invest in you and her answer to me was well the person it was a, a a guy she was like the person didn't really know the sector that he wanted to create a business in but he had the energy and he was willing to learn and willing to have investors provide guidance and mentorship and so it made me wonder uh, about the role of unconscious bias in in terms of making investment decisions, and how do you kind of overcome the unconscious bias factor that um, investors don't may not be willing to say up front that there's a there's a lean or preference towards a certain profile of entrepreneur, but I think it, it requires energy and being able to state your impact story, because oftentimes when I'm engaging with investors, it's yeah we want to invest in this company, but we don't know um what the type of impact they're seeking to achieve Uh, so for us you know if we understand how they're going to mitigate risk how they're going to achieve positive impact uh, it certainly aligns with my as an investor my impact objective so that alignment in terms of who you target as an investor is really important but really stating your vision your impact narrative that yes i have a company i'm going to invest in women this is how i'm going to do it my vision is that the next 20 years, this will be create a whole ecosystem of women in business and the arts, women in business and health uh, that's going to transform communities. So just really stating like why they should invest in your business and how it's going to shape the future. So I think it's really having that dynamic energy, that vision, uh, and of course, knowing the, the underlying details of your business, the financials, being able to speak to that. But I think being able to tell what is the social and environmental benefit that I'm gonna have on people and planet in the future. That gets people excited. Uh, And I think being able to really tell that in a way that conveys your passion and interest. And sometimes, you know, the secret sauce kind of changes from investor to investor. Some may like a little bit of pepper, some may like a little bit of garlic, but you have to kind of have a, a more nuanced approach, but being able to be clear about your vision clear about your impact and being able to talk about sustainability so I think those are if I were to narrow it down to those three ingredients it would be those three and of course tailor your approach depending on the type of investor and finding investors that are aligned to your business because I think sometimes this, there's this assumption that because you're giving me money I should just say yes and it may not be the right investor for you or you may not be in the position to get investments at this time Uh, you may need to refine your approach but really it's about matchmaking it's not just this investor has money so therefore i'm going to go after it but really figuring out is this investor uh, have similar impact goals as the impact that I seek to achieve through my business. Is this impact investor, uh, the, do they have an understanding of the market uh, that I'm seeking to kind of work in? So really matchmaking, it's almost like dating in many ways, really understanding the profile <laughs> of the investor and making sure it's, it's the right match. So I think, um, and when you have the right match, there's an energy to it that, that you exude when you're pitching because you know that this is an investor that's going to be by your side that you can kind of learn from and you can also yeah. teach them. So it's, it's, it's not just a unilateral relationship. It's about learning from each other and making sure it's a good match.
1: Um, I also that's think really helpful. Uh,
3: oh.
4: Sorry,
1: I also think what you mentioned earlier about bias plays a large role in terms of who gets funding and who doesn't, depending on where yeah. you're pitching for funding. And I think a part of it, because I think some investors are more comfortable investing in a guy, for instance, who might, you know, the situation you described, oh, he just seems passionate about what it is, even though he's not quite sure what it is. But we can bet on him because we think he can deliver as opposed to as opposed to if it were a woman showing up who is not so clear um, and then be willing to take that same risk or based on your color and your background being willing to take that risk and i find that people support oftentimes support other people who look like them so that also plays a role in terms of who you're approaching for funding and what their unconscious bias is when you show up because you could show up with all the goods and still not get support because of that unconscious bias
2: yeah that's very true uh, michelle i've just remembered um something um, someone told me he's uh, an investor and he was telling me how they had this entrepreneur, um, female entrepreneur come pitch uh, to them and she was amazing. Like her business was really thriving and she had these amazing ideas, um, but they didn't actually invest in her because they said that uh, she was a young woman and she would get pregnant in like two, three years. And then she wouldn't be able to to actualize the, the 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 sort of like the projections that she had hoped to for her business and I was like that is so I don't know like I I don't understand how someone can, is extreme bias because they right? know nothing about this woman that
1: yeah so do get pregnant in a few years yeah, I, I if she she, gets how do you know,
2: first of all yeah like how do you know she's planning to get pregnant because I'm sure you didn't ask her that in the in the pitch. And even if she does, um, I don't think there is a correlation to a business tanking just because someone, uh, the, the the entrepreneur, um, decided to, you know, start a family or whatever. So I, I really wondered, and when I, I prodded father, he told me that the, 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 the investment committee was primarily just uh, men. And so that made a lot of sense because you could see how, Men will sit down and make such a decision, yeah. But if there was um, a woman in the team, then I feel like things would have shifted and and they would have sort of like a different perspective. So I like what Mabinti said about like it not being a one sided relationship because it's definitely not. Um, I would say that it's a two way thing. For me, I always feel like it, it's a marriage. It's like deciding on who to get married to you have to also feel as an entrepreneur that this person has your best interest at heart and they are also looking to to support you in growing your business and if you have like any weird vibe uh from the from the from the investor then i would say then that, then that's not the investor for you so there's yeah there's a lot of stuff that's not just you know the stuff you read in the books there's also a lot of intuition um, and a lot of just using your emotional intelligence to try and figure out what would be the perfect investment relationship or the perfect investor uh, for, for someone who is trying to raise funds.
3: I think you made some really salient points about, you know, investors, female entrepreneurs really seeing and pitching and promoting their businesses with the data and the impact up front, um, you know, to try to dispel some of this, these myths around, um, you know, female entrepreneurs really just um, operationalizing a hobby, which seems to be the narrative these days. And, you know, again, (laughs) the the sad truth is that so many women, create very vibrant um, viable businesses around motherhood because of the you know some of the autonomy and some of the self-determination and independence that's required in terms of being a mother um, you know it, it just a lot of these things tend to kind of congregate into um, a narrative that is very different than than the one that's sometimes dis, um displayed by Um, By the media, but turning a little bit to some of the stats around finance, um, I wonder if you could sort of talk me through some of these because I I found them rather sobering. So, um, 62% of East African women entrepreneurs have never applied for loans because they don't think that they meet the funding requirements, and and bank products really aren't aligned to their business needs. Um, I think there's about $42 billion financing gap between um, female and male entrepreneurs and only only 20% of portfolio companies have gender balance in their teams. So with those sort of statistics, what do you think are the sort of opportunities and challenges for entrepreneurs that are determined to buck these statistics and what do entrepreneurs need to be successful in, with, with those statistics in mind?
4: Yeah, I think those, are, those stats, stats are sobering, but I'm also very much optimistic because there is an emerging group. There's so many new um, fund managers who are women or new gender lens investing funds that have emerged Uh, in the last five years and more um, that are prioritizing investments that go towards women-led businesses. And so because of this, I think you have more gender diversity in the investment space. I think that will shift um, entrepreneurs' availability or access to more capital to grow and sustain their businesses. Uh, Those challenges are, are still ones that Uh, Even even if there are more investors in the market, you still have to kind of buck this trend. Um, And I think there is more advocacy around this to call out this bias that exists in the marketplace, Um, bringing it, uh, surfacing it uh, at various conferences and events. You have the Gender Smart Investing Summit, for example. Um, You have conversations that are happening at Super Returns Africa uh, to a group of investors, predominantly male, to hear that when you invest in a woman, this is how your capital is being used in a way that's uh, most efficient, that is improving employment, especially uh, among marginalized communities, and and telling that story of how an investment in a woman entrepreneur, or investment in a company that employs women, that serves women, uh, is kind of being more successful than ones that are led by men. So I think the more we tell this story, we can kind of change behavior and provide concrete practical ways on how investors can invest with using a gender lens. I think for entrepreneurs, it's really uh, looking at the new funds that are coming up. There's some exciting ones that are emerging uh, that are investing in women. And I think especially now um, that you have COVID-19, a number of entrepreneurs and investors are grappling with how do we provide financing now to companies, particularly ones that are women-led companies that already needed funding at the layer of a global pandemic? How can we do this faster and more efficiently? So I think there are number of investment groups like Women in African Investments that convened a group of women um, fund managers, uh, women who are looking to invest um, smartly in other women. So I think those are some new uh, new developments that get me excited about addressing this challenge and changing those statistics.
2: Yeah. Um, and just to add, Mabinti, um, just like you, I'm very optimistic as well. Are We are seeing uh, an increase of Women angel investors as well in the region um, who are particularly interested in investing in um, gender balanced and and women led uh, businesses. So for me, I even though the the statistics are really sort of like paint a really grim picture, I feel like there is a lot of work that's uh, being done to sort of like change that narrative, um, and even with um, a fund like cleave and you know all the things that we are planning to do um i feel like there's this it's going to shift significantly in the next decade or so uh, where we'll see a lot of women uh fund managers who are able to make decisions around where to direct capital towards and i think like where we are right now is a really really good start um i i met um this uh a fund called uh women investment club from senegal um and they are a group of 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 100 women angel investors um, who are interested particularly in investing in 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 women-led businesses um in senegal and i think now they're looking to expand to um other parts of, of of west africa so um i mean such stories give me hope and they also make me feel like um this is definitely not it's definitely not something that's permanent and and there's going to be a lot of shifts um there's also the the banks like the africa development bank with the afawa uh, program that they launched uh, that's also looking to primarily invest in Women-led businesses. Um, I've seen also a lot of programs that are focusing on building the capacity of women fund managers. And again, once you have women sitting in these investment committees and having raised capital to to invest, then you see a lot of you know a lot of good and viable uh, businesses that are being run by women actually being able to receive investments.
1: Um, I think that, um, you know, I, think, I don't know if you ladies have seen Self Made, the Netflix miniseries about Madam yes. Walker, who was the yes. first self-made woman millionaire in the U.S. of any race. And, you know, something that was said in the movie is that by her, is that women entrepreneurs are necessary. Women entrepreneurs are necessary, and it's time that everybody gets the message.
4: Yeah, it's such a powerful message, uh, and I think that's a, the message that we all need to echo more of um, at the decision tables in ICs, uh, even at global conferences. I think they're, you know, it's something that's resonating more, um, also uh, among entrepreneur support organizations that are like the incubators and accelerators that are, are receiving the message of how can we provide better support resources to ensure that women entrepreneurs are getting all their needs addressed in order to be uh, successful and sustainable over time. So I, I definitely resonates across all sectors for women. And it's such yeah. a powerful um, story or biopic.
2: Yeah. And, and I wanted to add also, like when we look at investing in women, um, like it doesn't have to be the typical uh, just moving capital towards uh, businesses that are owned by women, but it's also sort of like providing infrastructure for women to be able to run the businesses that they have. Um, So especially for very uh, people living in like very vulnerable areas and, and, you know, these communities, I've seen a lot of work uh, that's going towards building of, um, Daycare centers so that the women can have places where their kids can go to during the day and in turn what happens is that they're able to fully focus on their businesses. And I remember reading one report that was saying how um, they invested in in, in a daycare. It's actually, I think an NGO uh, that invested in a daycare for women in in, in a very low income area. And the the effect of that was they saw um, the women uh, being able to make more of the products that they were making sell more some of them even you know were able to take more loans from their charmers to be able to go towards increase in 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 production capacity and they were able to pay the loans the existing loans better so that so it's sort of like it's such a a multiplier effect when you look at it um and so I think I'm, I'm I'm also really interested in just seeing how, other than just you know the typical what other financial innovations can be made around investing in in, in women and and seeing how to have a sort of like similar multiplier effects um, as a result of that,
1: yeah. So, ladies, before we go any further, I want to deliver a bit of bad news and hope that you can give us some grace. So, it appears that the first portion of the recording didn't get converted when we were initially kicked off. So, be so kind as to allow us the time to maybe re-record the first two
2: questions. So... I no actually, problem yeah i have a, another call at 4 30 which is in like how many minutes which is in 10 minutes um so i don't know how how we can go about it yeah i'm I'm, I'm open so,
4: to kind of uh going on another day in time that works yeah or, yeah um certainly yeah, oh whatever gosh. work would work for <laughs> everyone I know no worries no worries no worries it was so okay. good it's too okay.
3: I'm like no. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. gosh um yeah maybe uh should we just try to get rescheduled for another time
4: yeah that works I'm I'm flexible you know, I'm at home, <laughs> so I, you know, depending on yeah, lines. Are, yeah, so every, every I was hoping I'm open. you
1: guys would say that. I'm like, they're at home. We could probably catch them again, but I wanted to let you know that we we lost that recording. But things were going yeah. so well, and so we could probably continue and finish up, and then we can schedule another time to just re-record the first the first part. Yeah.
4: Sure, no problem. That'd okay. Work. Thank
1: you so much for this grace.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just uh, just to say that I'll I'll sort of I'll just jump out uh, at 429, which is in the- Okay, so maybe Wakuri, let's maybe um,
3: ask your question about creative industries then. Okay. So I'll I'll move to that and then Vinti we can come back to your question the question around um, starting live in Nairobi is that okay
4: sure no problem
3: okay so this question is for Wakuru so um, creative industries especially you know the apparel industry on the continent has been a a success story however as you mentioned before there does seem to be some reticence investing in these industries. And so I'm wondering um, if you could talk a little bit about some insights into this particular sector and what we're learning about the viability for investments in creative industries as a whole.
2: Hello. Sorry. Hi. There was something wrong with my mic. Um, so, sorry, do you, could you just say the question again, because I, I think my internet is a bit unstable, so I kind of lost. Sure. Yeah, let us try again.
3: Yeah. Can everybody hear me okay? Crystal yes. clear. Yes. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. So this question is for Wakuru. So um, creative industries, especially the apparel industry on the continent has been somewhat of a success story. However, the, you know, the creative industry as a whole seems that there seems to be some reticence around investing. Um, Can you sort of speak about some specific insights you have on this in this particular sector And what we're learning about the viability for investments um, in creative industries as a whole.
2: Yeah, so when you look at um, the creative sector and the African continent, um, those two, like the in terms of like culture and the creativity that's coming out of the continent, uh, it's 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 something that's been there that has always been there since time immemorial. Um, It's just that governments have not really. Shifted uh, or had any key spending or budgets for the sector. And so, how the sector has grown has been a lot of uh, private sector uh, input um, in terms of investments that the private sector has made. Um, There's also been a lot of um, people who have, or communities that have, um, what's the word I'm looking for? That have uh, preserved um, processes and ways of producing um, various things, uh, whether it's 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 the making of fabrics or the producing of specific garments uh, over the years. And this is this are sort of like the tangible asset, intangible assets that we see coming out of the continent, uh, where now a lot of um, even this new age and and new. Um, businesses in apparel are really looking at sort of like commercializing this old done and and you know this really older ways of of doing things that proved to be really efficient and proved to like really produce uh high quality garments and 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 and, and clothes um we are seeing these there's definitely a lot of shifts one i want to say that um there is we are seeing a lot of interest uh, from different governments, uh, just to see what local production looks like for locals and not just for export. Um, for for a long time, we've had, uh, for example, in Kenya and Ethiopia, um, these uh, special economic zones that produce uh, apparel, um, but then the apparel is, is not for local use and local consumption. All of it uh, basically goes to to for export and and to big label companies Um, but we're seeing suddenly there's a there's a sudden you know there's a specific shift towards towards the production of garments and the production of apparel Um, I think there needs to be a lot more investment in 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 production infrastructure especially within the region and this is sort of like the specific focus that uh, Hiva has had over the years just trying to figure out how to invest in how to invest in, in 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 growing this this infrastructure to ensure that you know a lot of jobs are created but then that you know local production is able to meet to meet the needs of of, of the local uh, consumption. Um, When you look at, um, I'll give you the example of what's happening now in Kenya and in the apparel sector. So the government has banned um, the export of of clothes. Um, First of all, uh, the EPZ, which is the Export Promotion Zone, is now only allowed to produce for local consumption and that's because obviously because of the pandemic they're trying to limit um, the the stuff that's coming into the country unless it's you know very essential products um the other thing that's happening is that the government has also banned the importation of secondhand clothes uh, which is in kenya called mtumba and that's sort of like a win for the for the local uh, apparel sector because um what that means is that you know the 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 competition that was there before from tumba um, is going to be is not going to be there anymore however there needs to be a lot more investment uh, by the government and by the governments in the continent to sort of like just make sure that these small businesses and these small uh, fashion um, companies actually have enough capacity to produce enough as well to be able to meet local consumption. The other thing that's happening is a lot of um, governments are looking in in, in Africa are now looking inward, they're looking at their fashion designers, they're looking at their apparel and production um, companies to be able to produce uh, PPEs for, for people in the health sector to be able to know to be able to buy and to produce from within instead of instead of importing from other countries so there's there's in as much as you know the pandemic has really affected um the revenues for for the sector there's there's something to look forward to because if if hopefully that some of these bans are especially with the second hand and some of this you know internal um realignments are actually going to be for a longer period of time and not just for, for, for not, not just during this season. Um, I think, again, we are also just hoping that um, the government is also going to, the governments are also going to work and are also thinking about working towards uh, building uh, local capacity to be able to do that. So I'd say like in as much as we've had wins over the years and in as much as it's been, uh, are success although growing slowly um, some of these radical decisions that are being made now are actually going to have a larger impact on the growth of of, of businesses in, in in apparel and fashion um, especially because when you look at um, the competition that they were facing previously was you know competing with like really really um, cheap um, goods and cheap garments that you know are not very good quality um, so it's now just trying to see how to produce and make sure you know there's efficient production but also that they're able to speak to um the local market in terms of pricing and in terms of the of, of the quality of goods that they're able to produce um, so that's sort of like where i see the april uh, sector being at right now um, and I know that things are changing, so we'll see how you know how everything how everything moves uh going forward um but I'm particularly excited because there's a lot of investors that have seen the sector as 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 a very um, as a very investable sector so far um even if you look at um some of the of the of the investment funds they're actually trying to figure out how they can they can put in you know capital towards um the growth of infrastructure for for the apparel sector
3: yeah thanks so much i mean it's definitely good to see that there's a silver lining um you know apparel will is an area where i could see sort of expansion and growth versus you know trade and um craft and you know handicrafts which you know so much can be so tourist-based and tourist-driven
2: which obviously now with this pandemic will be
3: um you know negatively impacted
2: yeah um, I think I think especially during this period, um, there is going to be a shift f- um, from sort of like globalizing or gro- globalization to just figuring out how to consume locally and to how how to consume you know locally made products. Um, if you look at uh, what was being with with the with the um, Africa Free Trade Area, um, that was that was uh, what do you call it? that was set up uh earlier last year um the idea is the free movement of goods and services within within the within the region and so what that means is that africa in itself is able to produce for its people and it's able to consume um the products that are being produced locally um if that is actually implemented and so i think there's definitely a lot of a lot of um there's, there's a lot of positivity that's, um, and positive stuff that's happening around around this continent when it comes to production of cultural products. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm really, well, I know this is a period of, it's, it's a weird period because in as much as, you know, there are all these hard, hard decisions that are being made, uh, one of the sectors that's actually really impacted is, is the apparel sector. Um, because a lot of people are not really um, looking at buying at this moment. But I think that it's that's a short-term problem. And once we have uh, a way of managing this pandemic and things get back to, or we find a new normal um, of life, then there's going to be a lot of opportunities uh, for growth and for entrepreneurs who are, are in the apparel.
3: So Mubinti, yes. um you are calling us from sunny Nairobi and you decided to first live Africa there after working in international development in the US. Um, So what are the lessons learned about uprooting and creating a venture like this on the African continent?
4: Yeah, that's such a a really great question because um, I think some of the reflections that I've had, especially at the start of 2020, it's, it's almost approaching a year since the move was that I was able to deepen my patience. And um, when I was thinking about this, I was like, patience, patience, patience is key, um, especially shifting from the U.S. and New York and operating at a, a really fast pace and then coming to Nairobi. And, you know, it's still a really great business hub, but the, the pace that of which I'm operating now is significantly different than what I've experienced working in New York and DC. Um, There were a lot of lessons learned through this process and even making that decision to move to Nairobi was really quick for me. Um, It was at a time where I just wanted to do more in my career and take more risks and got really tired of hearing the same um, testimonials from people, specifically women entrepreneurs, about not being able to get enough capital, not being able to get financing, and at the same time coming up uh, with an excuse of, "Well, well, maybe if you do this, and maybe if you do that," and and sitting at this place where working with global organizations that have the privilege and the luxuries of saying, "Okay, just do this," and it's not really tailored to what are the needs of women and business. Uh, And then coming to Nairobi for the first time really was to do a a fund manager training. And I think after doing that training, I had the opportunity to have a sit down with two um, Kenyan women Uh, two sisters who own an amazing business called Ikigai Nairobi. Ikigai, a Japanese word meaning reason for being. Uh, They created this phenomenal co-working space here in Nairobi, and uh, they introduced me to other women in business, women entrepreneurs, trying to make inroads to get access to financing. And instead of just taking down their stories and then reporting it back to the U.S., and know hearing similar feedback i was like what if what if i were to leave the us and move to nairobi to help really address these challenges leveraging networks formed in international development in the private sector and impact investing to solve for some of these challenges uh i thought about what's stopping me from doing that and i consulted of course with my my partner Marcus. And I say, you know, what if we were to, to leave and, and do this? And, you know, you know, luckily he was really supportive and was like, let's, let's do it. So there's nothing that's really tethering us to the U S we still will have kind of a touch point there, of course, because of family and kind of our, our connections there. Uh, but it was an opportunity to do this now because the urgency and the needs are so great. Uh, so uprooting was a challenge because at first it was trying to find a lawyer who could help me set up the business. I went through, uh, one lawyer, ended up going with another lawyer instead. That was a challenge in itself and spending a lot in the upfront, um, I think I had this budget in mind of how much I would spend to set up the business, but it took a lot more time and money. And um, I had to change or right-size my expectations because I I realized, yes, I'm moving to the continent and the pace needs to to change in terms of my expectations of how business gets done or the speed at which business gets done. But I had to, to shift it a bit more than I expected originally. I'm like, oh, there's no way this should take, you know, setting up an account or uh, getting everything registered shouldn't take this long. Uh, But it takes longer, especially when you're coming in as an expat. And really, I think the lesson was really understanding the business culture. I think I... Came in. Yeah. I wanted to hit the ground running really quickly, and throughout that process, I was getting frustrated a lot. Um, even with the traffic, you know, coming from the U.S. and D.C., you had the subway, you had different modes of transportation to circumvent traffic. Um, just, you know sometimes even setting up a meeting, I would think, okay, I'll, I'll set this call up. But then instead of a call, it's like, let's just meet in person. I'm like, oh, wow, um, okay, a lot of in-person meetings versus things that can happen over the phone given the traffic and some of the challenges. Uh, so it was shifting from, you know, depending on both conference calls and in-person meetings to going to more in-person meetings. I think uh, I would say about 80% of the connections I've made uh, want in-person meetings. And so it was shifting gears uh, to building those uh, personal relationships and connections, particularly in Nairobi, because it's, it's, it's very social. There's a lot of business yeah. happening here, a lot of impact investors, but there it's just navigating those different networks and, and really identifying What network should I spend most of my time engaging? And so just being an entrepreneur and and an expat in a new space, it's how do I want to use my time um, wisely? And uh, who are the individuals that I need to connect with that will really help me advance my mission and grow my business? And so I think the first three months was trial and error. Um, going to all these different events, um, which, was, which was really helpful to really identify who are kind of moving this sector forward, who's really interested in working uh, with me and working with Live Africa to really achieve some of our impact goals. I think the, the other lesson learned was uh, that being visible is critically important. Um, So it it was even going to events where I really didn't see the need to be there for a long time, but optics matter in terms of building trust within this business community here in Nairobi and really understanding that you can do, Nairobi's not the end-all be-all for business and really stretching uh, myself to kind of explore outside of Nairobi, going to the rural areas, going to Savoy, understanding what the needs are outside of the, the center of business, which is uh, Nairobi, um, and being flexible. I think uh, this move in uprooting and uprooting and moving to Nairobi uh, taught me how to be more agile uh, originally, I thought I was agile, but agile to circumstances that, you know, sometimes you can have, you know, this, this expectation for a meeting and maybe it doesn't align. Um, but being really so a open to different ability, approaches, you
3: You are yeah. flexible. You do realize that.
4: <laughs> but, um, yeah, yeah, that's I, I, true. I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's true. But it's a, it's a different kind of, it's a different kind of marathon. And I'm I'm glad you, you brought that up because those marathon running skills are quite transferable, but I, I needed to deepen that even more. And, um, You know, even talking to my mentors throughout this process, they were, like, saying, Mabinti, you you need to, like, really make some adjustments, take this time to understand the market a bit more, Um, adjust the pace. It's not going to be like New York. It's not going to be like D.C. And, like, on a very basic level, I knew that going into it. But I think in, in terms of kind of adjusting behavior, it took a bit more time for me to make that adjustment. It was just, like, I was still in mentally in New York mode of getting things done. And so the first few months, I felt really bad because I felt like I wasn't doing enough. I wasn't being as productive. But I didn't consider, you know, the changes. Like, oh, but you did move from the U.S. to a whole different country. Like, you did do these things and you've made inroads. But it was really right-sizing expectations, um, taking things a bit slower in terms of learning and listening more. Um, and also being patient with myself. So patience was just a cross-cutting theme across just even trying to, from establishing the business to um, identifying my crew as a partner. And thank you, Lydia, for kind of making those connections and then being open to asking for help more mm-hmm. um, were just really great lessons. And I think the biggest one that I've learned recently is self-care. Because I think, for me, it was okay. Let's just kind of work, and if I take time away, that means something else is not getting done. And I grapple with how do I balance self care with being an entrepreneur, and this is our you know first year. We're approaching our first year. How do I balance that, um, especially when you don't have the luxuries of that I had before working. In a job where you had the benefits, you had everything established and set up for you, compared to being an entrepreneur and having to set that up from scratch. Um, how do you make that time? And I, I recently began to prioritize that, even with in light of this pandemic. It helped me reset and re-reflect um, more deeply on how I can do things better without, you know, try, without stressing myself out completely and burning yeah. out, um, and just really taking time for myself to recharge because in doing that, I'm actually more beneficial to my company.
1: I think these are all good lessons learned for entrepreneurs. Um, And I was chuckling to myself a little bit when you were talking about, you know, the initial lag in your transition coming from New York and expecting things to sort of be at the same pace and kind of hitting that brick wall. You're like, no, you have to adjust because you're in a different environment. Yeah. It's a different game. And there are yeah. different rules, and you have to learn those rules. Um, but we are also yeah. at the point in our discussion where I say, Mabinti, WTF, where's the funding? So we- <laughs> <laughs> it's not the other WTF it. that you're a good kid. So knowing that yourself, you're an entrepreneur, but you're also on the funding side of things with the fund that you've created along with Orkuru. Are there other funds, foundations, development finance institutions, or other sources of funding that are purposefully targeting and supporting entrepreneurs on the continent in a meaningful way that you can expand on for our listeners?
4: Yeah, there there are multiple ones. I found that uh, there are so many groups of investors who are talking about this very issue. How can we improve um, the way we invest? Uh, the question that often comes up among investors is pipeline. You know, it's how can we diversify our networks to invest more. So one group um, in particular that I, I found found really helpful is women in African. Um, investments is a group of women who are who already have funds established or first-time fund managers who are raising capital to invest with a gender lens Uh, and and they include uh, Alethea Alethea capital hopefully I'm uh, saying it correctly Um, it's it's based in Nigeria Uh, they have a team of All women fund managers, really dynamic organization. Uh, They raised over 40 million to invest in African women entrepreneurs. Uh, There's also uh, DFIs like um, the African Development bank recent, recently announced um, a fund uh, in light of COVID-19 to invest more in African entrepreneurs. I want to say it's uh, about $3 billion uh, in, in social uh, impact bonds that they're looking to um, in, invest. Uh, there's also- I
1: hope the uh, African impact Development of- Bank is able to make sure that that money is targeted at the people who will receive it because sometimes money have a- trickling to those who need it through these big development
0: banks.
4: Yeah, I hope so too. Um, so I, I'm, I'm keen to kind of monitor, monitor these developments. Um, there's certainly uh, Village Capital. They recently a- invested with uh, uh, DGGF, the Dutch Good Growth Fund, um, in a program called NextGen, um, Building um, Africa's Ecosystem, uh, which is a program that works with entrepreneur support organizations uh, that can then provide resources to support more entrepreneurs. Uh, there's also um, already here, Acumen that's making investments. Uh, there's the Blue Haven Initiative uh, that's based in the US, uh, but they ha- they're they establishing a stronger presence here in Nairobi. I actually see them um, at the Ikigai Nairobi co-working space where they're looking to make more meaningful investments in education and other social initiatives. Um, there's of course, uh, larger investors who are who've been eyeing Nairobi, and even from the Women in African Investments Group, uh, Wakuru mentioned WIC. Um, that's uh, based in West Africa that they're looking to kind of expand um, how they invest in other regions across the continent and across sub-Saharan Africa uh, that are emerging and their new funds uh, including Samata Capital which is another woman-led fund they're looking to invest more um, in this region they're making investments in Nigeria as well as uh, East Africa uh, and there are growing numbers of uh, different groups that are emerging and I think that and the coming months. Um, you'll hear more about it, specifically how a lot of these women investors are looking to shift gears in light of the pandemic. Um, how do you raise capital and invest um, given some of the, the global challenges that are happening? And how do you shift gears? So I think this is, this is a key uh, topic that a number of these investment groups are, are grappling with. And I think it's pushing more for this, this urgency to invest now, um, and invest in a meaningful way. So I'm really um, looking forward to this, and and even through Live Africa, we are raising for our fund called Kwishi um, Africa. Kwishi um, being meaning to live, which is a Swahili word and to align with our um, advisory and impact measurement and management services offered under Live Africa. And so our aim is to uh, raise so that we can invest in early stage businesses starting in Kenya, women-led businesses and gender balanced teams. So not just uh, women at the helm of businesses, but businesses that are serving women in a meaningful way that have women in leadership. And so we're committed to supplementing what's um, already uh, out there and hopefully growing uh, the number of investments that are uh, coming to African women-led businesses or African businesses that's women in. So I, I think it's a really exciting time despite the challenges. I think the challenges push us uh, to do more, um, better,
3: and more efficiently. Thank you. I would definitely agree with that. Thank you so much, Mabinti, for all of that, you know, fountain of knowledge there. Um, so as it relates to Live Africa, where can people find more information about you and Wakuru, and, and connect with you on social media? Where can people find you? Yeah. Great. I have a great question. Thank
4: you for, for that. We are going to be launching our site uh, top of next week called uh, Live africainvest.com. That's live africainvest.com. It's our website where you'll find information about our team. Um, Our two-pager overview about our intentions, uh, our work and services, including providing impact measurement and management services for investors and entrepreneurs, bridging the gap and being the equalizer in terms of access to information to grow and make better business decisions. We provide research support. We are a team of five now since since, uh, starting last year, uh, getting established in May. Uh, We have a team that includes uh, our impact measurement and management lead and portfolio and we have a business manager as well as a senior research advisor that provides support um, for our our team and we're going to be raising soon for our Kwishi fund but yes liveafricainvest.com check us out we will be a, a, we're will available and certainly happy to partner and work with organizations. We're currently partnering with a company called SOPAC Impact Cloud that provides uh, a, tech, a data tech uh, impact reporting platform uh, that includes some of the tools and resources that we rely on to, to serve our clients. So we're looking to partner with organizations that are seeking to deepen their impact and also working with investors to identify co-investment opportunities and also raising capital. So we're really excited about that, and we'll continue to expand our presence via social media. Um, but as we approach our one year, we're super excited about what's to come, and I'm eager to work with new organizations and companies to kind of achieve positive impact in the space.
1: Well, thank you so much, and congratulations on your one-year anniversary. We are keen to see you continue to grow and serve the population that you're serving and much more success in the future.
3: Amazing. Thank you you so so
4: much. much. No problem. Thank you so much. WTF uh, (laughs) team. I love it. Where's the funding? And uh, we hope to provide the answer to that through uh, live Africa and Kwishi Africa.
1: Thank you so much. And with that said, that's the end of the show folks. All right. Bye.
4: Thank you. Uh, stay Stay well. Stay safe. Same to you. Bye bye, bye, bye. bye
1: We'll reach out with um, um in the next show. I'll okay. okay. All awesome. right. Love no to Marcusine.
3: Okay. I
4: think bye. Reggie and I you
3: will too. schedule a yeah. Schedule a happy hour soon.
4: Yeah, let's do that. We'd love that. Tell Reggie. I say, what's up? And uh, we'll be in touch. Thank you. All right. Bye. All right.
3: Thanks so much. Bye. bye.
1: You know, what was really interesting to me about this episode is when we got into the conversation about the missing middle yeah, that absolutely. Middle of funding, right, between seed funding and where a lot of investors want to come in at a million, a million plus. There is an entire ocean between those two um, areas and very few investors are operating in that space and let's say a young entrepreneur gets some seed funding gets into an accelerator program you know might get funding you know 25,000 50,000 even if that much and then it's over and there is so much more that is required to scale and grow this business and it's so much harder to leverage capital that's in that middle space between even for some between 250 and a million And there is really a problem there, that missing middle. And I just like that Jumani was very cognizant of that. And that's a space that really needs more attention and more discussion about that missing middle, because there is um, there's an opportunity there, a missed opportunity.
0: I agree. I think there's something to be said about the misalignment of what entrepreneurs need. And what's out there, and so, you know, Obviously, the pipeline at the beginning is plentiful, and you see a glut of, um, you know, government, philanthropy, private sector, just all the usual suspects and the unusual suspects at the beginning, and then you have, you know, uh, the tried and tested, you know, major investors at you know, as you said, sort of the million, million and a half plus space. But the misalignment is really right there in the center. And how do businesses traverse that hump? And this doesn't, this seems to be a global phenomenon. I mean, I think we've talked about this before, but this isn't just, you know, the continent. And obviously, you know, Countries on the continent have their own unique challenges in terms of raising any capital. So, you know, there's that. But this seems to be a global phenomenon where we're really seeing entrepreneurs say, "I uh, this is the area where I need the most help. And yet there just seems to be, you know, what is the reticence? And I think it would be lovely to be able to speak to a funder and talk about you know candidly what the reticence is about sort of injecting capital at this most pivotal stage because understanding that i think will help better sort of align you know philanthropy and government initiatives and really allow the the global supply chain of finance to flow more readily because I, you know, it really does seem like there's just a, a hard stop um, at the time where businesses need it most.
1: I agree, you know, because I'm in the grant making space, and we, you know, I've, we've given grants. We give grants up to two fifty, and between two fifty and a million, like <laughs> there, there are fewer players in that space. Very, very few. And for businesses that are scale and growth ready, that are looking to sort of make that leap and go into, you know, wider distribution and ramp up production, it's hard for them to find funding within that missing middle space. So it's definitely a conversation that needs further expounding. And I feel like that's a great um, space for this podcast to really play in and explore. And we were just happy to have um, Jaman really talk about from his perspective on the continent the fact that that's a problem um, that he's uh, come across as well.
0: Yeah. Again, I think understanding this space and understanding who's sort of willing to step into a, a very critical need will be helpful now more than ever. So, um, great conversation. Looking forward to having, you know, more guests who can speak to this and um, also looking forward to hearing from our guests. I think, um, you know, hearing more from them around, you know, ideas and solutions and kind of stress testing that with our audience and hearing what questions that you have will be helpful, too.
1: Yes, that's critical. I was going to say that, Lydia. We also want to hear from you or listeners as well. What are your thoughts so that we can make this more of a conversation that's not one-sided? We want to hear from you as well. So if you have anything to share um, around this space, please feel free to email us at the funding at gmail.com. With that said, thank you for listening. Um,
2: like, rate, review, all that good stuff. And we'll see you at the next episode.